Good evening, Airman Troy. Welcome to the first episode of Sound Off Leadership Lessons with Airman Troy, where our mission is to inspire, develop future leaders, inspire and develop future leaders of the Air Force and beyond. Um, I'm Cadet Randolph. I'm an, an AS300 here at Det 060. And I'm Cadet Marler, uh, AS200 at Detachment 060, University of Southern California. And today's guest is Lieutenant Thompson. Um, he is commissioned from USC in 2019, and he had a pilot slot. So, uh, Lieutenant Thompson, go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, tell us what's going on right now. So, yes, all of that is correct. Yes. So, I'm, uh, I'm Second Lieutenant Justin Thompson. Uh, I commissioned out of the, uh, the detachment there, Det 60, back in 2019. Uh, I am a, uh, a 92T0 pilot, pilot trainee. Uh, presently, I'm stationed uh, up here in Northern California. It's not too far from you guys at uh, Travis Air Force Base. Uh, we can talk a little bit about, about how I ended up here and, and, and what sort of the, uh, the situation is on the ground, if you guys are interested in that. But the long story short is, with, with everything going on in the world, it's, it's no big surprise. There are delays, there are backups. So I'm, I'm assigned to uh, the 22nd Airlift Squadron, which is an operational C5M flying squadron up here at Travis. Uh, one of only two in the Air Force, right? The other one's at Dover Air Force Base. Uh, and uh, so I'm doing, doing my casual time out here. I've actually got a month left. And then at the very beginning of December, I will PCS down to Laughlin Air Force Base, uh, where I will uh, join my, uh, my undergraduate pilot training class. And we'll, we'll go from there. Sounds good, sir. Sounds good. Um, would you mind giving us a brief background of how you came to join ROTC? What were the deciding factors that led to you wanting to join the Air Force and why at Debt 60? That's a great question. So that, that really goes pretty far back. Um, I come from, from a military family, which is, uh, uh, you know, I'm sure there, there are plenty of other cadets out there that, uh, that have that background. But uh, So I have, a, I have a grandfather that served in the Air Force. Uh, as a pilot, he was a um, uh, oh, KC-146, something like that. He was a tanker pilot back in, in Vietnam. I wish I, had the, wish I had the airplanes in front of me. 141, that's the plane I'm looking for. Uh, so he did that back back basically during Vietnam, um, at sort of the outset of Vietnam. After that, he went to Pan Am and was a captain for that airline for, for many years before he retired. My uncle is a was an F-15C pilot and then an F-22 pilot and is now an instructor pilot down at Shepard Air Force Base where they do UPT there as well. Uh, so I come from a little bit of a military background. So, so I was kind of around airplanes and aviation and the Air Force a lot growing up. Uh, I think in high school, right about then, I really decided that, that that was a path I wanted to, to pursue. Uh, I was a high school junior ROTC student um, for several years. So I got a lot of exposure to, and it was Air Force Junior ROTC. So a lot of exposure to sort of the Air Force and, and its core values and, and things of that variety, career opportunities. Um, so I, I liked that enough that I went ahead and applied for uh, an Air Force ROTC scholarship and was picked up on that through the debt from the, uh, the commander at the time. I was a, I was a commander scholarship select. Um, so, so a lot of the things that were, were big deciding factors for me. Oh, and then specifically why USC? That's, that's, that, that was the other half of your question. Uh, I'm also a USC family, right? So my sister graduated from USC in, in 2010 um, from, the, from the School of Journalism down there in Annenberg. Um, and so she had a fantastic time. And so I remember growing up, we would go to the football games because you know, we were right down there in Southern California. Go to the football games, have, have a good time. So when it came time to select schools, uh, especially looking at things like the scholarship, once I kind of knew that school 
uh, was going to be at least less expensive, right? If not paid for, um, then USC became an attractive option, um, sort of, sort of based on my experience with the university. And I knew somewhere I wanted to go. I knew a big factor for me there too, as well, was that it was a host university, right? So, uh, shout out to all those crosstown students that are that are brave in that sort of sort of challenge. But but for me, I was I didn't have the work ethic for it. I need to be at the university if the <laughs> the debt was at so that I could make sure I was staying on top of things. Um, so kind of a confluence of those factors. So, so you grew up as a, a USC fan. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, huge yeah. USC fan. So it was a, guessing it was a dream school for a long time. It was yeah. USC was the plan. I did I did start the nomination process uh, and received a congressional nomination to the Air Force Academy. But the way that the timing worked out is before I I, I even had a, had the opportunity really to get through all the way through that process and have to make any commitments to the Air Force Academy. The um, the Air Force RC scholarship came down because because I was a, a basically I got my I, I got my notification of scholarship early because it was coming from the commander. Um, who was Colonel Simmons at the time. So she had the ability to kind of just call me and let me know. So I kind of hardcore bailed on the, on the academy train at that point because I knew that I, if given the option, I would go to a civilian university. Um, so money is always a factor when you're making those kinds of decisions, obviously. But once I sort of had both paths available to me, uh, I knew that the civilian institution was, was where I wanted to be and that SC specifically. So yeah, it definitely was a dream school. So once you got to um, University of Southern California, um, could you talk a little bit about what that transition was like from high school? I know you did JROTC, so maybe it's a little bit smoother than others. And also, like, what balancing that with uh, academic life was like. So, it it really was an interesting experience, right? Because I, I sort of came in with a with sort of preconceived notions about what the program was going to look like and what was going to be expected of me. And in a lot of cases, it, it was very similar to to things I right the. Right, thirty AFI three six two nine oh three doesn't doesn't change whether you're in the junior ROTC or, or the CRC, right? So we we have the inform the same way, right? As as high school cadets, we might have had different configuration for the informer. I think we had like patches that designated that we were we were junior ROTC students, right? Not actually affiliated with any kind of um, you know, active duty or reserve component. But but beyond that, I mean, you, you know, you wore the uniform the same way for the most part. You marched the same way. So so things like that, the transition was actually really easy. But um, there were other things that I think were actually more, I would argue were more challenging for me because I was coming from sort of this background of, of thinking I had an idea of what, what needed to happen and what I needed to do. Uh, and so there was actually an unlearning process initially, right? Because, because the kind of leadership that we uh, engage in at the, at the Air Force RTC detachment, right? Getting you guys ready for active duty is, is very specific and sometimes a little bit different. So uh, I, don't, I don't think it hurt me in any ways, but it, so I would agree that it was a pretty smooth transition, but um, there were definitely lots of times where um, I, I sort of need to reevaluate and readjust what I was doing for for the fact that this was sort of the real deal, right? We're not just we're not the goal is not just to be a good cadet, right? The goal is to be a good officer, right? And so there's there is there's some maturity and some some growing that has to be done there. Academically, um, funnily enough, I I think my probably my first year in college was the hardest for me. Um, and so, and so I was a political science major, right? I'm a, I'm a Dornsife grad, uh, from USC. Um, and, you know, I had sort of come from, from, from the world of like all the AP classes we do in California and the college prep and stuff like that. And so I front loaded a lot, right? My plan was to try and try and get as much done in those first two years that I, as I, as possible so that, um, you know, the last two years when I, when I thought the really hard classes would kick in, I could sort of, sort of take maybe fewer credits or fewer units or whatever it was. So I really front loaded a lot of my units. I took a lot of, a lot of GEs and stuff like that those first two years. 
Um, and, and so that worked out for me, but I might, I might've biting off a little more than I could chew there. So kind of, kind of juggling all those different courses and, and things like that. Um, but, but at the same time, uh, you know, really fantastic resources down there. Um, we, I, I have what I call like the, the tried and true, uh, get an A minus in your class strategy, uh, which involves a lot of things like making sure you go to your professor's office hours so they know who you are, uh, make sure you turn in every homework assignment, even if you, you know, just kind of scribbled on it 15 minutes before the class, right? I had some kind of tried and true uh, strategies for sort of doing the uh, just enough, right, to kind of get over the hump and, and make the grades. And that, that, that served me pretty well in, in college. Although for those of you maybe in a, in a more, more math-oriented uh, studies, maybe, maybe wouldn't recommend it. It was kind of by the seat of my pants a lot of the times, but, but so I really enjoyed my first year uh, and my second year, especially. And, and then it did kind of pay off towards the end. Right. I think my senior year of college, I might've been going to class, might've been going to class, right. This is an important distinction, like two or three days a week only. Uh, but of course that gave me plenty of time to be doing things around the debt. So, so the debt commander had me in there the rest of the time, just a word uh, of advice I, for anyone that thinks that that, that, that works out. If they find out you have more time, it's true in the air force too. If they find out you have more time, they'll, uh, they'll use it. Yeah, I completely agree with uh, a lot of people coming to college, um, biting off more than they can chew their first year. Um, they really like overdo it. I know personally, um, when I first got to college, there was a standard I was used to having in high school as far as GPA was concerned. And freshman year, I just really had to reevaluate um, what I was thinking with those. Yeah, one of the big things that really, really caught me uh, as far as, as becoming a, a new college student uh, was like just how damaging it was to have that much control over my own schedule, right? Um, so you, you know, the we all coming out of out of public, many of us out of public school, right? We're used to the kind of seven to to three ish, right? Like window where you get up, you go to school, uh, there's a lunch break, you know, you, you finish up, maybe you have a sport or a club afterwards, you go home, right? So it's very regimented, right? You kind of do that Monday through Friday of the week, and I get to college, and I think my first semester, one of the classes I took was like a six p.m. Spanish class. So my schedule is kind of all over the place uh, in terms of, of that. And I actually found that made it, at, at least initially, that made it hard um, really to keep, keep the same kind of routine. Uh, and so that was something I really had to work on after that first semester was when it came time to pick all those classes next semester. I was like, maybe we really do need to fit in a couple of 8 and 9 a.m.s here just to kind of keep things on the rails, right? So I wasn't having this weird, really weird disparity where some days – I didn't have a class until 6 p.m. And then some days I was getting up at, you know, 5.30 in the morning or whatever for PT. Uh, and of course I made it through all of that, but, but in hindsight, I, you know, maybe, maybe fit in an 8 a.m. or a 9 a.m. Every, every once in a while, just so you can kind of keep that regular schedule because uh, especially later on, right. That's good. That was going to become very important for, for being as successful as both a cadet, a student, and then eventually a Lieutenant, right. Showing up for work on time. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Exactly. Um, you mentioned sports in high school. Did you play or were you a part of any clubs while in high school? Uh, I played a little bit of club soccer, um, but, but I think it's towards the end. So I wasn't on like the, it was, it was, a, it was organized through the high school, but it wasn't like a, oh, what's the we have here? Like CF, CI, CIF, something like that, California. Yeah, CIF. Whatever the organization of, of sports is. So it wasn't organized through that. Because um, really my, 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 my big extracurricular in high school uh, was the junior ROTC that, that ate up a lot of time. And to be honest, I was never exceptionally good, right? I probably couldn't have played on a CIF team. So I did do some of that in, in high school. Um, but beyond that, uh, no, no, no like official sports or anything like that. I did the, the junior ROTC. I was in a couple other clubs. Like uh, we had a mock trial club that was kind of interesting that I 
participate in for a while where you went down a court and you pretend to be a lawyer in front of a judge and stuff like that. So fun stuff like that, but, uh, but no sports, um, no sports uh, officially as it were for that. Um, Sounds like J. Rossi was your sport. Yeah. In a lot of ways um, it, it, it took up the PE credit and stuff like that. And, and part of that curriculum was, was kind of what we do in RTC, although uh, that took place during school hours. So it was a little bit later in the day, but we had, we had PT uh, twice a week and stuff like that. So uh, we did, we did work out and do things of that variety, but um, yeah, so that, that's what took up my PE credits and stuff like that in high school. Yeah. Um, going back and then to the world was like after school okay. real sports we did. Hmm. Going back to cadet life uh, in college, um, I'm curious, as a 200, what, what kind of changes go through between your GMC to POC years and also how that is reflective of uh, being an officer in the Air Force? So, yeah, the, two, the 200 year is, is sort of optically the most difficult, right? You're doing all that preparation for field training. Um, you're getting ready to... Uh, sort of go and show what you know, right? Field training is kind of that big monolithic experience that you got to make it through, but, you know, like a great filter, whatever. But but honestly, for me, the, the most challenging year by far was the 300 year in terms of what was required of me as a cadet, right? Because you come back and and you don't always appreciate it, but the, there's a lot of work that that your, your upperclassmen are putting into preparing that training program. Um, and so, so the, the real challenging piece actually is when you come back, uh, it's not necessarily being in charge of, of the GMC cadets, right? So that transition from kind of follower to leader isn't kind of as dramatic as you think, because you're kind of doing it along the way, right? You're leading your peers, you're doing things along the way. But, but the, real, the real difficult piece for me, uh, and I think a lot of my classmates would have agreed with me at the time, became that peer leadership piece at the 300 level, where you have sort of these big grand projects, right? Whether it's planning, uh, you know, some kind of... Uh, extra training day or, or, or whatever, you know, your big, your big evaluation for the semester, or, or just even a, a singular lead lab. There's a lot of people that touch that, right? So it's not just, uh, I, I, I don't know how you guys organize now, but it's not just your director of training or your training squad or commander sort of putting all of that together. And it just suddenly appears, right? There's, there's different people that are touching that uh, in terms of, you know, all the way from the, the, the cadet wing commander down. Uh, and so, learning to to sort of work work with your peers right it's not just top-down leadership you kind of, you guys are kind of leading each other uh and it does it comes from the, the cadet wing commander but there's a lot of a lot of steps in between that was really challenging right learning how to how to how to navigate that how to get, kind of get everyone moving in the same direction really for the first time to, to produce a product and then what that mirrors on active duty of course uh i i'm one of the junior lieutenants in the squadron there's no question about that there's a couple of us that are that are still second lieutenants but the vast majority of our squadron are, are first lieutenants and captains and so a lot of the times uh if there's a project that comes down it's it's not always going to get handed to the most senior captain in the squadron or the most senior first lieutenant sometimes the second lieutenant gets it right sometimes i'm the guy that's available and i'm the one that's going to take on that project and so uh, you know you i think you kind of get this notion sometimes that that as an officer in the air force what it's going to look like is you in a room with a bunch of airmen and, and you're kind of the, the big leader in the room. And that's true for some people, right? Depending on your career field, absolutely. There will be some of that and that has its own challenges, but especially in a flying squadron, a lot of times it's, I, I'm the one that got the job, right? I'm the, I'm the, the POC, right? The, the pack. I'm the one kind of running the show and there's all these other first lieutenants, second lieutenants and captains that are running around. And I'm just telling people what I need and they're, they're getting it to me. And so it's, it's kind of leading what I call horizontally 
uh, rather than vertically, right? I'm not leading, I'm not really leading down the chain. I'm sort of leading across to, to all these other people. Whether I need something from the, the folks over at the training flight or the folks down at the awards and decks flight or, or the scheduling folks that I, I need something from them, right? Those are a lot of times my peers, if not my uh, my superiors. And I'm, I'm having to ask them for products and, and put those together and do things of that variety. So uh, I think um, that's one of the really interesting transitions that happens there, in addition to all the other growth that you sort of you bring back from field training. Um, but that, that was a big factor during my time as a, as a CTA as well when I went back to Maxwell was, was it was one thing to sort of lead the flight of cadets or the squadron of cadets I was taking through training. It was another thing as the, as the squadron uh, CTA to sort of lead other CTAs uh, in a horizontal fashion. So it applied in ROTC, it applied at the dead. It definitely applies now in active duty, sort of that ability to, to lead your peers. That's awesome. And it's good to hear that um, the, the same kind of training we'll be going through in ROTC is also very applicable in the Air Force afterwards. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, uh, it, what, what ROTC is great at is, is sort of creating a, a, a simulation of, of sort of, if not real life, right? No one's ever, no one's probably going to ask you to, to, to find a way to, to cross an imaginary bridge with everyone blindfolded, right? We don't, we don't count that a lot on active duty, but the, the concepts that you guys are employing there um, do come up a lot. And, uh, uh, we laugh at it all the time, right? The other lieutenants from the, from the 2019 class, sometimes we'll be doing something, um, and, or, or I'll need help on something and, and I've done it right, especially getting ready for PCS. And I'll start messaging, uh, you know, one of the other lieutenants and we'll start laughing about how, how some of the things we're getting into are just like what we're doing in our OTC. But, but yeah, so even if, even if a lot of what goes on in the, uh, in the dead is just a simulation of things, the, the concepts and the ideas and really the skills, they come up a lot. So Lieutenant Thompson, um, you were speaking about um, your time at USC. So what, while you were at Debt 60, made your experience there unique compared to some other knowledge that you have about other detachments? So you were a CTA, correct? Yeah, so you, you, that's, that's exactly where I was going to head with that. You're asking the right person because, uh, and, and this is really a shame, but, but I think outside of those kind of PDT opportunities, like going to be a CTA at Maxwell or some of the other things that happen, um, there's not a lot of opportunity for ROTC cadets to interact with, with people from other detachments who aren't kind of right in the local area, right? You might see the folks over at UCLA a lot, but, you know, they suck, of course. Uh, you might see the folks down at San Bernardino a couple of times or San Diego, but what you really miss out on is, is the ability, really except for field training, right, which everyone goes to, the ability to sort of interact with people from, from all over the place. Uh, and the reason that's a shame is, of course, when you get on active duty, there's people from all over the place, right? Um, but, but, the, but, but to get back to your question, uh, and everyone, if you ask this question to any, any lieutenant in the Air Force, or really anybody in the Air Force, uh, why it is that they liked where they were or where they at, they're always going to give you the same answer, which is the people, right? That's really what, what, come, what it comes down to. Uh, when, whenever you like a location or you like an experience, it's going to be the people more than anything else. So in my case, the class I commissioned with was a, just a fantastic group of individuals. We were very close. Uh, we got into, uh, we, we accomplished a lot of things and got into a lot of trouble together, right? Like the two, both ends of that spectrum, which is really, really the key piece here. Um, but beyond that, uh, the things that really made my time at SC fantastic were the opportunities, right? Um, and I mean that both inside of ROTC and outside, right? And, and those of you that are, that are SC students or really just students in the, in the area, because Los Angeles is such a fantastic place to be, uh, kind of know what I'm talking about, which is there's lots of opportunities to go out and do all kinds of things, whether that's 
in the in the ROTC debt or academically in the classrooms, right? Different kind of immersion experiences, research opportunities, that sort of thing. So I got to do a couple of different things while I was at SC that were kind of unique and awesome. Uh, and then, but the other big piece was the was the opportunities that sort of being at a high class debt like SC afforded me in terms of of getting the opportunity to go out and be a CTA at, at field training and stuff like that. Um, because those were really some of the best times that I had were, were the times I really branched out and did something different. And we sent people all kinds of places, you know, NCLS, uh, we had we had folks go down to the academy to do jump school. Uh, we had some people go down for some leadership initiatives that they were doing down, down at Maxwell and stuff like that. So, um, but, but ultimately it's always gonna come back to the same answer I get now, which is why I like being in the 22nd so much, it, it, it's the people. So there were fantastic people at the debt when I was there. Uh, based on my understanding of what's going on down there, there's still plenty of fantastic people. So you guys are doing well on, on that front as well. Um, but ultimately, my commissioning class made every step of that journey awesome and worth it. So just curious, still... sir. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, thank you. Uh, just curious, sir. How big was your um, graduating class or commissioning class back then? Oh, I'm gonna have to count on my fingers. I think I think we were like nine. I want to say we were nine. Uh, wow. It might have been 10, but 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 I think not. Um, yeah, nine sounds about right. If, if that's not correct, then it might have been 10, but but um, just about that number. So Detachment so 60 has grown quite a bit um, recently. I, I think my class is up to 40-ish. Um, yes, so, and that's that's a fantastic point, right? Yeah. So my last my last two years in the program, right? We really really kind of kind of exploded in terms of numbers. I remember all the recruiting that we were doing at the time and, and clearly that's that's bared fruit, right? The classes seem to get bigger every year. Uh, but of course we were also kind of a holdover of a time where uh, just ROTC classes in general were small. I mean the, the USC has has gone through a lot of growth, but realistically um, there were time periods where the Air Force just wasn't commissioning as many officers so the classes were a little bit smaller. But but that's all moving in a new direction now. And, and of course the, the detachment itself now has tons of people. So, so definitely a difference from when I started because my class was never that large. I think even when we, when we first kicked it off, my 100 class was, was definitely less than 20 people. So um, big, big change there from when I started as a cadet. Do you still keep in touch with your class? And is that relationship, all the time. relationships really important uh, to you? I was just texting, texting some of them earlier, actually, uh, before I got on the Zoom call. Um, all the time. Yeah, that's, that's huge. And, and you'll hear this a lot and it's, it's a cliche. It really is, but, but it's also grounded in a lot of truth. Uh, it's a small air force. And so you'll, you'll bump into people all the time. Um, uh, a perfect example of that is, is, is people that, that either I went to field training with or went back to field training as a CTA with they're here with me. There's some of them that are here with me at Travis. Um, there, there are people from, from both of those groups that are in my UPT class, right? We, we now have some sort of confirmation of who's, who's in what class. And so I have friends that are in the, that UPT class. And then of course I have my, my commissioning class that are kind of, we're all kind of spread across different commands and stuff right now. But, but I, uh, I run into people all the time that know them or, or that, you know, so it really becomes a small air force, right? Anywhere you go, you're going to find someone who, um, who you either know directly or indirectly, and that makes it makes it much easier to do the job, right? Especially when we're looking at moving around every three years and things like that. But yeah, huge. We're 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 talking all the time. We have all kinds of Snapchat groups and group meetings. And uh, we still, I think, we still have the original group meet that we started when we were all we're all 100s. That's still floating around. So many group meets. So many. So there's, groupies. yeah, that has some real historical value. There's there's memes all the way back from from our our days as GMC that still exist on that platform. So. 
yeah, still still very close and, and keep in touch with with pretty much all of them. So going on to um, what you're doing now, um, can you talk to us a little bit about um, how you ended up at Travis Air Force Base and like the whole uh, UPT uh, backup, if, if that is a thing right now? Yeah, so that's, I mean, that's something that's kind of been developing over the, over the past couple of years, right? Um, and so, so for those of you that, 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 are, that listen to this and are, are 100 to 200s now, you may not have been around for it, but definitely the three to 400s remember that there was sort of this big period of time where they were talking about the pilot crisis in the Air Force and, and uh, we were lacking on pilots and there was really kind of a lot of drama about it. And some of the things I think that not everyone gets were exactly what that problem was, which is not necessarily that we were lacking on volunteers, right? So there were lots of people like me who were sitting in our RTC debts somewhere saying, I raised my hand, I want to fly, right? Where the real, the real crisis and the crunch was, was in instructor pilots, right? So, so, so folks that were at the end of their service commitment and were getting out of the Air Force for, for various reasons, uh, what, you know, whether it be go fly for the airlines and things like that. So, so the Air Force sort of, sort of had two problems. And this is me speaking unofficially, right? I, I, don't, I don't officially sit at AGC and make any decisions, so I could be wrong about some or all of this. But, but the, the understanding I've come to is what really happened is they did have an influx of, of sort of incoming pilot students, right? So they had, they had lots of uh, uh, slots that they were given out in different places, right? I know my year in particular, we had lots of people get picked up for, for flying opportunities, whether that was pilot or CISO or anything like that. But um, but the the other half of that piece was that was that they didn't have enough instructors, and so that creates this backlog, right? And the problem is once you have a backlog of one class, you actually have a backlog of two classes, and then three classes, right? Because once that domino starts to fall, uh, it starts taking the rest of them out with it. So so kind of from the get go, uh, really from the time I, I I was selected to to attend pilot training, there was an understanding that it was going to be a wait, right? And it was and so whether that was six months or or more. We weren't sure. And then we started getting the ADs. And it was really kind of all over the place. I knew some people that left kind of right away, uh, right after graduation. I knew some people, and then I knew lots of people that were in the same boat as me where they were actually looking at putting us basically in the next fiscal year in terms of flying, flying classes. So, so that was kind of already a problem. And then, you, and then 2020 hits, of course, right? And, and so what was already not, not sort of a good sight picture in terms of getting the training really fast then kind of became a real sort of uh, cluster in terms of, of, of getting folks to classes. And so my initial assignment was actually to Columbus Air Force Base. And so as that date started rolling closer and closer and closer, um, people started getting switched all around. And so I kind of had, a, I, I kind of had a notion that it was going to happen, but what ended up happening is they, they didn't have room for, for me at, uh, at me and a bunch of other, right? So when I say me, it's, we're really talking about whole classes of people and have room for us at Columbus. So we got re-diverted to Laughlin. And then Laughlin starts looking around and realizes that they've got way too many casual lieutenants sitting around waiting to start both kind of on the front and back end of UPT. So there's this period where you're a casual lieutenant right before you start. And then you go through training. There's a period where you're a casual lieutenant waiting to go to your, your first squadron, you know, whatever your platform is to your basically what we call your B qual, your basic qualification. So they had too many people sitting there at Laughlin on both ends of that spectrum. And so there was, there was a little kind of a moment of panic where they realized that they can't onboard a whole new uh, you know, batch of, of casual lieutenants waiting to start pilot training. So I started looking at solutions. And one of the first ones was uh, sending us to Maxwell, which I was not super enthusiastic about having, having spent, spent plenty of time there already uh, at different assignments. So, but it was okay, right? That was what it was. Uh, but then Maxwell kind of started looking at numbers and go, we can't take a hundred casual lieutenants. There's absolutely no way. So, so the, the real fix became uh, sending us to a bunch of different bases in, in smaller groups, right? So there's about at this point between the academy and ROTC, there's about 10 casual lieutenants at Travis. Um, and then there's, there's 
couple of us at, at places like Nellis Air Force Base. There's a couple of people down at, at Langley. There are some people at Maxwell. So it really kind of became this uh, this sort of spread of, of casual lieutenants all over. And and we can get into this. I think this is a great point to talk about. But it's really kind of been a blessing in disguise because this really kind of calls back to a much older model of, of casual lieutenants. Um, so if you talk to, to my boss at the squadron, who's, who's the chief pilot at, at an 05, so kind of an old school C5 guy. When he came, he was telling me this just the other day. When he came through as a casual lieutenant, they did the same thing, right? They just kind of sent you to an operational base, embedded you with a flying squadron, and let you kind of hang out until it's time to start training. And then they stopped doing that for for various reasons, mostly because it was more cost efficient to send you to your to your, your UPT base. So in a lot of ways, it's been a blessing because it's kind of forced them to go back to this older model of sending casual lieutenants to operational bases. And for me, what it what what the net result is is rather than sitting at Laughlin. Not that this would have been a problem, right? Because you got to put in your time and do your stuff. But rather than sitting at Laughlin, shredding paper in a basement or scanning scanning IDs at the gate, uh, I'm I'm sitting on an active, you know, in a in the flight room of an active duty flying squadron, uh, kind of kind of handling very real world issues to the degree that I'm capable, right? Nothing nothing too mission critical, but but definitely handling some day to day actual real world, no kidding, flying squadron stuff. Um, and and doing it at a at an awesome base at an awesome location, uh, again with a with a fully operational flying squadron. So I have many many hours in the C five already. I've been on plenty of locals, uh, kind of all over the place, all over California and the Western United States. Uh, and that's not necessarily an opportunity that I would have had if I was sitting at Laughlin right now, waiting just kind of waiting to start class. So, and uh, another one of my classmates, Lieutenant Lieutenant Harrison Frank. Uh, who right now is at Nellis is hanging out with a JTAC squadron down there, an F-16 squadron. He's getting all kinds of rides doing that, so he's on a great time as well. So I, I, I can't I can't speak for him, but I can't speak for him, right? He's having a really good time over there. Um, so I, I would think he would agree with me that this kind of worked out better than than just kind of hanging out at Laughlin for the time being. So narrowing down, you're talking about a broad aspect of your career after ROTC. What does the day in the life of Lieutenant Thompson look like from the minute you wake up to the minute you go to bed. So, so this is where, this is where I, I hope that you don't show this podcast any of my casual, fellow casual lieutenants, because it's going to differ very strongly depending on who you talk to, right? What squadron you're in. So um, I'm super biased, but I, I, it's my understanding based on what I've heard and what I've seen that I, I did achieve kind of the choice uh, squadron assignment here at, at Travis in terms of, of what it's afforded me. So my, my day-to-day, I, I work for the chief pilot in our squadron. And so the chief pilot, at least at the 22nd, is sort of a human resources person in terms of managing all of the aspects of flying careers that are not sort of literal flying the airplane. Uh, and what I mean by that is things like assignments. Um, because one of the things you'll find on active duty, especially as a pilot, is uh, there are certain career checkpoints where you're going to look at doing things that aren't flying your primary airframe, right? Whether that's uh, sending people down to a uh, UPT base to go be a T6 instructor or a T1 instructor, or or sending people to other various developmental assignments like uh, what we call AMLOS, Air Mobility Liaison Officers, which is where they go down and they work with the Army to to do things like liaise for all the big airdrops and stuff that we can do out of C5. Um, so so his his primary duties involve kind of working things like that for people, right? Massaging assignments, getting people where they want to go. Um, and then as well as bringing new people in, right? So when there's when there's talent that we want to fill various positions in the squadron, or if it's just bringing in brand new lieutenants right out of right out of sort of the the B Qual at Kelly Air Force Base, 
um, that's what his office handles. So I, I'm, a, I'm attached to that office. And so my, my day-to-day is, is pretty simple, right? Depending on the day and what we're doing, uh, um, we're just kind of the COVID environment. So, so I guess I need to caveat all this by saying I came on active duty during the height of COVID, right? So I came on active duty in April. And when I came up here, things were no, like no kidding closed. Like uh, I sat in my apartment for the first couple of days, just kind of responding to emails because whether it was on base or out here in, in Fairfield, right? There was nothing open, right? You couldn't go in any of the offices. So my, my end processing was completely virtual, which is very unusual, right? Normally I have to carry around this big packet of paper and go to all these people and talk to them. But none of those offices were open. So I was literally doing that via email. So the first couple of weeks were kind of dicey because we were in, we were in the height of COVID and I was just doing th- most things virtually. I, I only went into the office a couple of times um, just to kind of take care of the things that you take care of there because they were really focusing on the social distancing and things of that variety. Everyone was working. Everyone was teleworking. So there's no reason to be in the squadron. So more recently, what my, my, my day-to-day, week-to-week has looked like is, uh, is going into the office. Uh, one of the big things that, that sort of takes up my time and that has kind of been awesome is we have these things called, uh, called crew training sessions where based on your, your crew position in the C5, and the C5 is kind of interesting because we have a, we have a really big crew complement, right? We have two, typically at minimum two pilots, if not three, right? One pilot observing. Um, and then two, a loadmaster and two flight engineers. So we actually have uh, five crew on that, on that airplane. So the crews will, based on your crew position, they'll break up into crew training. And for me, what that looks like is basically I'm auditing a graduate level course in, in flying. Um, so some of the stuff that they go through is very C5 specific, and there's no guarantee I end up uh, on any platform or at any base in particular after UPT. But a lot of what they go through is, is really kind of nitty gritty and, and basic um, what flying in the Air Force looks like. So there's this big document called the, the 202 Vol 3, and it's basically the manual on how the Air Force flies airplanes. And so, so, so most mornings I'm in there, and it's basically a big study session with all the pilots, uh, and it's taught by the evaluators and the instructors. So, so you get a lot of opportunity to go through the basics of what is instrument flying in the Air Force? Uh, how do we define weather minimums and weather categories? And how does that affect the way we do operations? So really kind of, kind of low-level uh, all the way up to high level, like how does the emergency brake system in the C5 work and what are the failure points? So I get to sit on a lot of that stuff um, just because as a, as a, even as a casual lieutenant, um, the, the 20 seconds has been kind of awesome in coding me as a pilot. So I get to do a lot of things like that. And that's been, I'm, I, I could be put on the mission essential list to go fly on locals and things like that. Um, so a lot of my mornings are, are, are taken up with, with meetings and, and various things of that, whether it's meeting with the chief, chief pilot and his, his team, because there's, there's a couple of us that are in there. Um, handling that kind of stuff or going, going down to the, the CTs uh, or all calls, you know, we're doing that morning. So that, that's what a lot of my mornings look like. Uh, we're actually just now getting back into PT. So some, some mornings we'll, we'll be the whole squad are getting together, go in the morning, go to do PT. And then the afternoons are where the fun really starts. So, so for me, especially on Fridays where we do sort of the real traditional flying squadron stuff, one of the things that, that I, I really am kind of on top of is is sort of what we call like the lieutenant mafia so to speak right so all the lieutenants in the squadron are responsible for various things and one of those things is what was what we call the heritage huddle which is every friday we get everyone together in the squadron uh especially now that we're kind of uh ramping back up operations now that uh the covid restrictions are kind of being lifted um so we get everyone in the squadron there on friday afternoons and and we do reading of the heritage and we kind of get eyes on everybody and uh, there's 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 beverages that are served of, of various varieties, right? Um, oh, well, you guys are college students, right? Like so, adult, adult beverages of various varieties are are served and, and enjoyed. Uh, and so, one of my responsibilities is organizing that and making sure that um, uh, everything is kind of set to go for that, which is kind of fun because what that means is I'm in charge of like in that in that 
at essence, a lot of the fun parts of being in a flying squadron. So uh, getting everyone together for the roll call on Friday and, and, and doing the heritage huddle and, and, uh, and stocking up on, on things of that variety. And then other things I handled more directly through the chief pilot. Um, we, uh, as a big squad, we're, we're a large squadron. We have more than, more than 250 50 members in the squadron. Uh, and so we constantly have people coming and going. And so there are certain things that, that have to happen uh, from the perspective of being in a flying squadron when you, whenever you receive new members or leave and they're, they're, they're kind of traditional things and, and fun things of that variety. So we have things like finny flights where, where members are doing their, their, their final flight with the squadron. There's certain things that have to happen that I, I don't, I won't necessarily spoil here, but, but certain traditions that need to be observed and things of uh, things of that. And, and there's a lot of organizations happen there, like getting the family out to the flight line to meet them and marshal the jet. Uh, and so that requires me to kind of work with people like the maintenance folks and, and security forces and making sure that we're all clear. So they don't just see a bunch of people running out on the flight line to the airplanes and kind of go, what the heck's going on there, you know? Um, so I arrange a lot of things uh, like that. that. Um, and so, so all of that has been kind of all over the place, but that's, that's really what I am uh, because the, the 20 seconds kind of given me the opportunity to, to sort of experience all the various aspects of flying culture. Uh, one of the other big things I do, uh, especially more recently, ha has been filling in on sims. So we have a lot of what we call first pilots or FPs uh, in the squadron that are working on their, air, their upgrade aircraft commander. Uh, and so sometimes they just need someone sitting in the seat next to them, um, you know, reading off the checklist and doing things like that, which sounds like a small job. It's really kind of fun, right? You get to go in there and really, really sort of help watch that process of going from sort of a, a very, very initially called pilot all the way to aircraft commander and sort of hanging out in those. And then I, I depending on the week, I, I may spend two or three afternoons out of that week uh, flying on C5. So um, really uh, nothing too, you'll notice nothing in that list was too heavy, right? Um, which is why we can't show this to all the other casual attendees, Travis, because some of them are doing paperwork two to four days out of the week, right, sitting in an office. But that does not describe my my average week. My average week involves a lot of handling different kind of flying culture aspect e type things, um, and so that's been a lot of fun. Yeah. So um, I was gonna say this this summer, um, since I'm on scholarship, I saved up all my stipend from the whole entire year, and I just blew it all on flight training. So I got a couple hours. Um, and I ran out. And so I know that if ran out a few months ago anyways, so I know if I tried now, I'd probably have a little bit of trouble memorizing checklists, um, emergency procedures, so on. Um, so I'm just wondering, do you have any flight hours? And if you do, what do you do to stay on top of that? Um, keep your skills up. So I actually, I, I got a PPL. That's one of the things I, so, so in case it wasn't clear before I had an 11 month wait from the time I commissioned till the time I EAD, which means I came on active duty. Um, that's one of the things that's kind of, that's looking like it's becoming more and more common these days. I, I, I haven't had a chance to talk to a lot of the, the folks that just, just commissioned this year, but I, I, it's looking like the weights are getting more towards the long end and not more towards the short end. So one of the things I did to pass the time, uh, in addition to travel and all the other fun stuff I did was, was I went out and got my PPL. Um, and so for example, I've not, I've not gone IFT, uh, but one of the ways that, that I sort of keep those skills sharp, uh, and one of the reasons why this, this casual assignment in particular has been so, 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 so beneficial to me uh, is things like the sim, right? Like uh, I, I, get, I get plenty of hands-on time in the sim, and it's not quite the same as flying the airplane. Um, but, but in terms of – it's a motion sim, which helps. But, but, but again, any, any, any pilot will tell you it's, it's, not, it's not quite the same thing as going out and flying the airplane. That's really important. But in terms of some of the things you mentioned, like – getting on top of things like memorizing checklists, right? Focusing on, 
on some of the very, very basic skills uh, that are involved in, in flying an airplane, especially because a lot of what we do in the, in the Air Force is instrument flying. Right, very basic instrument flying. Right, can you can you can you hold an airspeed? Can you hold an altitude? Can you hold a heading? Um, so it's really good for sharpening up those skills. Uh, I keep my nose in the books, um, and and one of one of the things you'll you'll kind of learn is that is that there's kind of a vast network of of people who who really anywhere you go in the Air Force would invest in your success. So in my case, we have a lot of what we call FAPES or first assignment instructor pilots here at the, here at the twenty second that have been very helpful and do things like that. So I keep my nose in the books. Uh, I get on the sim schedule whenever I can to go to go be pretend co-pilot for some of the FPs. Uh, and, and again, as the experience is built there, I've, I've gotten really good at certain things. Um, and then because I have the PPL, right, I take the opportunity wherever I can to, to actually go out and fly an airplane. Um, but but really, you'd be surprised how 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 very simple things can keep that what we call keep your hands warm, right? Keep keep your skills sharp. Um, if you can get on a computer and play Microsoft Flight Simulator, that helps, right? Like, no kidding. Uh, if you can, if you can get, you know, the, a diagram for an airplane and just like one of those cockpit diagrams, they sell them uh, anywhere. And I, and I, and I bet I, knowing. Of, uh, your, your instructors. Uh, I'm sure they can get their hands on stuff like this. Just staring at a cockpit diagram, kind of going through the, the motions in your head of, uh, of okay, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to shoot up. We call this chair fly. I'm going to shoot a pretend approach in my head. Okay, what am I reaching for? You know, when I, at what point? Okay, I've just passed the abeam point, right? Where are my flaps? Where, where, what's what's my natural sort of motion to, to get the flaps in, right? What's my natural motion to get the airspeed under control, right? At, at what point am I thinking about pulling power back? At what point? What's the crossfire look like? Uh, you know, wherever my airspeed in, uh, for any airplane, because because the truth is it's different in air, every every airplane, but it's the same, right? Because we're going to look at things like airspeed. We're going to look at things like what's my altitude. We're going to look at things like where's my aim point. So getting used to that idea in your head of uh, of uh, airspeed aim point, airspeed aim point, right? Uh, as you go through things like like shooting a final approach in your head, and so so while obviously flying an airplane is sort of the top level of getting to do that kind of things, right? It's it's the most realistic because it is real. There's lots of things you can do all throughout that spectrum um, that can that can sort of keep you in that mindset, and and so in terms of of getting a pilot slot. I can tell you for a fact that having having an enormous amount of flyers is not required. Uh, in fact, I know people that that got that got a, aviation slots in particular with no flight hours, right? Zero, uh, because obviously they're a thing. And you guys you guys know this too. And, and if you don't know, there we can talk about it here. There's lots of lots of folks at your debt who are going to be very very knowledgeable about all the other things you can sort of do to pad those PICSM scores and things like that. Because it's not just about flying hours. But if that's something that you're interested in specifically, which is keeping up that that perishable flying skill. Anything you're doing that's getting you in the mode of thinking about those kinds of things like checklist discipline or or, or cross checks, right, which is where, how your eyes are going to move throughout the cockpit, or even just get on Microsoft Flight Sim and remembering that that when you pull back on the stick or or you pull back on the mouse or whatever, because you, you guys, well, what am I talking about? I know for a fact because I helped build them. You guys have those VR those yep. VR setups down there at the debt. Yep. So there's no excuse about that. Getting in that seat and just recognizing when you pull back on the stick and you're increasing angle of attack and all this other stuff's happening, your airspeed's going to go down, your altitude's going to go up. Just knowing that that happens, right, is huge for, for keeping those non-skills perishable. So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to backtrack here a little bit, which is you guys at Dead 60 have no excuse. There's a stick and a VR headset sitting in that, in that building somewhere. Just getting in that seat, even if it's once a week, even if it's twice a month, whatever, and just working on, on those – 
just the muscle memory of pull back on the stick, bring the nose up, airspeed comes down, altitude goes up, all of those things, huge. And that's, that's all of what you do, even as a casual lieutenant preparing for UPT, but I can tell you on the other side of things, as fully qualified pilots, that's what they're doing all day. They're looking at the books, they're getting used to their diagrams, they're, they're chair flying, they're thinking about what am I doing on approach, they're getting in the sim and they're running through all these things. So hopefully that answers your question, but really anything, anything you're doing that's putting you in that mode, getting that because the brain in a lot of ways is a muscle like that, right? It's muscle memory, getting those muscles working. All, all of that is, is goodness. And all of that will result in, in, in being a more effective aviator. Sir, as we run out of time, um, I have a few, or we think we have a few last questions. Um, yeah, hit me. One, um, what is something that keeps you inspired slash motivated through both your time at ROTC that you could pass on to ROTC cadets and also in the operational air force. Um, so that's, that's, I'm really actually excited by this question because I'm, I'm in a unique spot to, to sort of give you guys a, a little bit of a pep talk, not, not that you need it or want to hear it, but here's the real answer. If it, for me, what, what kept me motivated was get on active duty and doing the job. Cause I was very excited to do that. Right. I like flying. Uh, knowing that that was going to be my, my job, that they were going to pay me to go and sit in an airplane and fly it. All of that was very motivating. But, but the, 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 the part that I wasn't expecting, or, or perhaps wasn't expecting as much as I should have looking back now, is just how fun it is, right? And, and everyone, everyone in the Air Force is going to tell you they have the, they have the best job. And that's, that's true to a certain degree. But, but especially being on an active duty flying squadron, doing some of the things I do, getting some of the trouble we get in, right? The, the wing commander of and hopefully this podcast doesn't go out anytime soon. So maybe hopefully until I'm out of here, but we'll see. The wing commander of the 60th Air Mobility Wing may or may not have a giant C5 sticker stuck to the outside of his office window right now. And I may or may not have anything to do with that, right? Like plausible deniability, but but just the amount of fun that I'm having on active duty keeps me motivated to, to go to the next thing. Seeing how much fun the first pilots in our squadron have, right? Like folks just fresh out of UPT are having. Keeps me motivated to get through UPT. And when I was a cadet, it was keeping my eye on the prize, right? I knew that being a lieutenant on active duty was going to be a good experience. And, and, and now kind of sitting on sort of the first major step on the other side of that, which is being an active duty lieutenant, I was right. And it, and, and it, it really does, uh, it pans out. And so just know that, that I know lots of lieutenants are doing lots of things uh, here on the base and in other places, and they're all having a great time. They're all having, a, and some of them, some of them are already outside the country in Italy and, and in Japan and places like that. And they're having a great time out there, right? It, even with COVID, right? Because COVID has kind of screwed up a lot of things, but despite all of that, they're having a good time. And so that, that kept me motivated when I was a cadet, right? Keeping my eye on the prize. Because there are days where even I woke up and I was like, man, I really don't want to PT right now. It's, it's five o'clock in the morning. I'm exhausted. I haven't had any coffee. I don't want to do this, right? I don't want to, I don't want to go deal with this today. Or, or I knew that that day was going to be uh, particularly difficult based on a training plan we had, or that, or I knew that things weren't in place that needed to be in place. And we were going to have to sort of troubleshoot that on the fly, right? So there were lots of days where the, the, the motivation might've waned a little bit, but what always brought it back every single time was, was the people around me who were all, we'll go back to that, right? Awesome people around you helps, right? Really kick-ass people surrounding you in a really high performance environment keeps you motivated. I'll tell you that for fact right when everyone else is performing at a high level and you know you can't show up and not bring it right that was true at, at field training that was as a cta that was true at the debt as a as a as a poc right knowing that if i showed up and i, I sucked that day that all of my peers were going to know 
and, and they were all going to perform that day, right? That kept me motivated. But, but mainly keeping my eye on the prize, knowing that what was on the other side of all of sort of the challenges of being a cadet and a college student, because it is challenging, don't get me wrong, I, I was there, right? Some days are better than others. Knowing that on the other side of that, that was going to be a reward, and that reward was an awesome, fulfilling, fun career as a lieutenant in the Air Force, that kept me motivated. So for anyone that's questioning that or anyone that does know if that's true, at least in my experience, take it from, from Justin Thompson, right? Real talk, being a lieutenant on active duty, awesome. I'm having a great time. And so know that you, that's where you guys are headed. That's, that's what's just on the horizon for you guys. And then once you get in my seat, what's just on the horizon beyond that is, is getting those wings, right? Being a fully qualified pilot, getting to my first operational squadron as a pilot and getting to kind of do all of this all over again, but on the other side, right? So uh, Cadet Randolph, did you have any more uh, questions to ask Lieutenant Thompson? No, I don't think so. All right, so that's all the questions we had for you. We really appreciate you um, coming to talk to us. Um, now, we're wondering if you have any questions for us before we go, or any closing remarks. Um, yeah, maybe a, maybe a question and a remark, which is uh, I'm, I just want to shout out that I'm, I, I'm super – I keep track of all the all social media you guys are putting out, so whoever's doing that is doing an awesome job. But so shout out to them. Uh, number two, I, I just want to say I'm, I'm proud of you guys over at the debt because I can I, and I'm speaking from experience here. COVID has screwed up a lot of things. Right. And on, on active duty, we're, we're dealing with that in a lot of ways that are, that are really challenging. Uh, and it goes all the way from my level. Like, how, gee whiz, how do I plan this finny flight when I, I, I can only have so many people and they have to all we wear masks, have to be socially distanced. But I want the kids to be able to participate. Right. All the way from like really basic stuff like that to like the top of our squadron, like, well, how do we accomplish missions when, when there's a risk people are going to get sick? So it's been a challenge for us for sure. So I know it's been super challenging for you guys. Um, so, so you know, what are – I would love to hear about what are some of the – and this is one of them, obviously. You guys are doing stuff like this. But what are some of the ways that you guys are sort of handling things on your end? Because I want to hear about – because I know it's cool, right, whatever it is. So what are some of the so, sort of innovative things you guys are doing? So maybe uh, Claire Randolph, maybe start talking uh, from the POC side, and I can talk to the GMC side afterwards. Yeah. Um, so all of our lead labs have been uh, online, on virtual, uh, except for today. Today was our first day of in person. So awesome. a lot of the GMC, a lot of the 100s got their first taste of being a cadet and what it's like to march around, and of course keeping the six feet and staying safe about it. But um, personally, I was there, and it was really nice getting to see um, the 100s do something that wasn't behind a like a computer screen. Yeah, it's so it's weird a, it's how, really how much hard. you take for granted getting able to do just stuff like that in person, right? Like getting eyes on people, and we talk about it in the squadron all the time. Like, like the things that you miss the most during the COVID environment, we were allowed to go in the office. It was just like bumping into someone, be like, "Hey, what's how was your weekend, man? What's going on?" Like you couldn't do that anymore, right? Because you weren't seeing people. So that's good to hear that you guys are getting an opportunity to sort of put eyes on people and and let the team kind of get in the room and and mesh that way. It is crazy what you take for granted, for sure. Because if you were to tell me a few months ago, back in the spring, that I wouldn't get yelled at for a few weeks because it's online, then of course I would take it, but. Now being here and being online for months, of course, I would give anything just to go back in person. And I feel like a lot of the cadets at our debt would as well. Yeah, so one of the things that um, as a 200, um, I'm equally like worried about is uh, all the detachments around the country are doing different things right now. And this is one of those times where we all need to communicate with each other, all the different detachments, figure out what we're doing as far as online uh, classes go. But also, there's some people who just aren't online, who are in an area which uh, permits them to gather. Yep. 
And so that'll, it'll be interesting at field training to see all the detachments like USC who are now online uh, training virtually versus the people who have been in person this entire time. Well, to that, and we'll, we'll come, we can wrap this up as my final remarks so that, so that you can all get out of here. But to that, I will say this. Having done field training as a, as a cadet and gone back as a CTA, no one has – no one, no, no, no CTA, no FTO, no cadet has ever gone to field training and had the entire thing go perfectly, right? It never goes to plan. There's always something, right? So, so, so there is no expectation that someone shows up to field training and, and they're, they're – there's like no issues. There's no bumps or anything like that. And, and you, the kind of training that you guys are receiving at Dead 60, uh, I can tell you firsthand, having having been on both sides, right, as a, as a cadet and an evaluator, you guys are going to be just fine at, at adapting. Um, but but to, just to go to the COVID piece in general, um, the, the, it may suck right now, and and things kind of do suck, right, having to do things online and stuff like that. But you'd be surprised how how much this kind of experience is going to come into play uh, when you guys get on active duty because stuff goes sideways all the time. And, and, and even now we're, we're learning things as an active duty squadron uh, that we're, we're taking things away from the teleworking environment, taking things away from the COVID environment and going, wow, that worked really well. We're going to keep that up even when things start to start to get back to normal. So just, I'm, I'm sure your instructors are giving you guys all this, all this stuff too, but just in case you're ever wondering, like all these challenges that you guys are dealing with now, they'll, they'll pass, right? Things are, things are headed in the right direction. And, and it looks like uh, maybe by this time next year, we, we think we could have a, a, a reliable vaccine, all that stuff. We don't have to get into the politics or any of that. But, but the point is, all this, all the stuff you guys are kind of overcoming now, it's, 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 it's like a, it's a really kind of interesting, nice trump card in your back pocket. You might be able to pull out someday and go, hey, you know what? Like, stuff's really sideways right now. But when I was a cadet back at Death 60, like, here's, here's what we did to overcome this. Here's, here's, how, here's, here's what we were talking about. Here's what our ideas were. And so, so just know that I'm like super proud of you guys. You guys are, are, are overcoming something that you know, like really nobody expected to have to deal with in terms of a training environment for, for preparing to be lieutenants and you're going to be better for it. So keep that up. It's going to, it's all the challenges now, it, it, it's going to be something nice to have in your back pocket later. I, I can almost guarantee that just based on what I've seen here in nine months on active duty or wherever, wherever it's been. Well, again, thank you, Lieutenant Thompson, for joining us. We really appreciate it. And it was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it was a pleasure having you. And uh, thank you all for tuning in to Sound Off Lessons on Leadership with Airman of Troy. We hope you all learned something from it. And um, we hope to see you back either next week or the week after. And remember, we're here to help you get there. Uh, thanks for joining us today. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>